Section 30 of A General View of Positivism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melvin Lee. A General View of Positivism by Auguste Comte. Translated by John Henry Bridges. Chapter 6. Conclusion. The Religion of Humanity. Part 5 substitution of duties for rights the most important object of this regenerated polity will be the substitution of duties for rights thus subordinating personal to social considerations the word right should be excluded from political language as the word cause from the language of philosophy both are theological and metaphysical conceptions and the former is as immoral and subversive as the latter is unmeaning and sophistical. Both are alike incompatible with the final state, and their value during the revolutionary period of modern history has simply consisted in their solvent action upon previous systems. Rights, in the strict sense of the word, are possible only so long as power is considered as emanating from a superhuman will. Rights, under all theological systems, were divine, but in their opposition to theocracy, the metaphysicians of the last five centuries introduced what they called the rights of man, a conception the value of which consisted simply in its destructive effects. Whenever it has been taken as the basis of constructive policy, its antisocial character and its tendency to strengthen individualism have always been apparent. In the positive state, where no supernatural claims are admissible, the idea of right will entirely disappear. Everyone has duties, duties towards all, but rights in the ordinary sense can be claimed by none. Whatever security the individual may require is found in the general acknowledgment of reciprocal obligations, and this gives a moral equivalent for rights, as heretofore claimed, without the serious political dangers which they involved. In other words, no one has any case, any right, but that of doing his duty. The adoption of this principle is the one way of realizing the grand ideal of the Middle Ages, the subordination of politics to morals. In these times, however, the vast bearings of the question were but very imperfectly apprehended. Its solution is incompatible with every form of theology and is only to be found in positivism the solution consists in regarding our political and social action as the service of humanity its object should be to assist by conscious effort all functions whether relating to order or to progress which humanity has hitherto performed spontaneously this is the ultimate object of positive religion Without it, all other aspects of that religion would be inadequate, and would soon cease to have any value. True affection does not stop short at desire for good. It strains every effort to attain it. The elevation of soul arising from the act of contemplating and adoring humanity is not the sole object of religious worship. Above and beyond this there is the motive of becoming better able to serve humanity 
unceasing action on our part being necessary for her preservation and development this indeed is the most distinctive feature of positive religion the supreme being of former times had really little need of human services the consequence was that with all theological believers and with monotheists especially devotion always tended to denigrate into quietism the danger could only be obviated when the priesthood had sufficient wisdom to take advantage of the vagueness of these theories and to draw from them motives for practical exertion nothing could be done in this direction unless the priesthood retained their social independence as soon as this was taken from them by the usurpation of temporal power the more sincere amongst catholics lapsed into the quietistic spirit which for a long time had been kept in check in positivism on the contrary the doctrine itself irrespective of the character of its teachers is a direct and continuous incentive to exertion of every kind the reason for this is to be found in the relative and dependent nature of our supreme being of whom her own worshippers form a part consensus of the social organism in this which is the essential service of humanity and which infuses a religious spirit into every act of life the feature most prominent is cooperation of effort cooperation on so vast a scale that less complicated organisms have nothing to compare with it the consensus of the social organism extends to time as well as space hence the two distinct aspects of social sympathy the feeling of solidarity or union with the present and of continuity or union with the past careful investigation of any social phenomenon whether relating to order or to progress always proves convergence direct or indirect of all contemporaries and of all former generations within certain geographical and chronological limits and those limits recede as the development of humanity advances in our thoughts and feelings such convergence is unquestionable and it should be still more evident in our actions the efficacy of which depends on cooperations to a still greater degree here we feel how false as well as immoral is the notion of right a word which as commonly used implies absolute individuality the only principle on which politics can be subordinated to morals is that individuals should be regarded not as so many distinct beings but as organs of one supreme being indeed in all settled states of society the individual has always been considered as a public functionary filling more or less efficiently a definite post whether formally appointed to it or not so fundamental a principle has ever been recognized instinctively up to the period of revolutionary transition which is now at length coming to an end a period in which the obstructive and corrupt character of organized society roused a spirit of anarchy which though at first favorable to progress has now become an obstacle to it positivism however will place this principle beyond reach of attack by giving a systematic demonstration of it based 
on the sum of our scientific knowledge continuity of the past with the present in this demonstration will be the intellectual basis on which the moral authority of the new priesthood will rest what they have to do is to show the dependence of each important question as it arises upon social cooperation and by this means to indicate the right path of duty for this purpose all their scientific knowledge and aesthetic power will be needed otherwise social feeling could never be developed sufficiently to produce any strong effect upon conduct it would never that is go further than the feelings of mere solidarity with the present which is only its incipient and rudimentary form we see this unfortunate narrowism of view too often in the best socialists who leaving the present without roots in the past would carry us headlong towards a future of which they have no definite conception in all social phenomena and especially in those of modern times the participation of our predecessors is greater than that of our contemporaries the truth is especially apparent in industrial undertakings for which the combination of efforts required is so vast it is our filiation with the past even more than our connection with the present which teaches us that the only real life is the collective life of the race that individual life has no existence except as an abstraction continuity is the feature which distinguishes our race from all others many of the lower races are able to form a union among their living members but it was reserved for man to conceive and realize cooperation of successive generations the source to which the gradual growth of civilization is to be traced social sympathy is a barren and imperfect feeling and indeed it is a cause of disturbance so long as it extends no further than the present time it is a disregard for historical continuity which induces that mistaken antipathy to all forms of inheritance which is now so common scientific study of history would soon convince those of our socialist writers who are sincere of their radical error in this respect if they were more familiar with the collective inheritance of society the value of which no one can seriously dispute they would feel less objection to inheritance in its application to individuals or families practical experience moreover bringing them into contact with the facts of the case will gradually show them that without the sense of continuity with the past they cannot really understand their solidarity with the present for in the first place each individual in the course of his growth passes spontaneously through phases corresponding in a great measure to those of our historical development and therefore without some knowledge of the history of society he cannot understand the history of his own life again each of these successive phases may be found amongst the less advanced nations who do not as yet share in the general progress of humanity so that we cannot properly sympathize with these nations if we ignore the successive stages of development in western europe the nobler socialists and communists those especially who belong to the working classes 
will soon be alive to the error and danger of these inconsistencies and will supply this deficiency in their education which at present vitiates their efforts with women the purest and most spontaneous element of the moderating power the priests of humanity will find it less difficult to introduce the broad principles of historical science they are more inclined than any other class to recognize our continuity with the past being themselves its original source necessity of a spiritual power to study and teach these truths and thus to govern men by persuasion instead of by compulsion without a scientific basis therefore a basis which must itself rest on the whole sum of positive speculation it is impossible for our social sympathies to develop themselves fully so as to extend not to the present only but also and still more strongly to the past and this is the first motive a motive founded alike on moral and on intellectual considerations for the separation of temporal from spiritual power in the final organization of society the more vigorously we concentrate our efforts upon social progress the more clearly shall we feel the impossibility of modifying social phenomenon without knowledge of the laws that regulate them this involves the existence of an intellectual class specifically devoted to the study of social phenomena such a class will be invested with the consultative authority for which their knowledge qualifies them and also with the function of teaching necessary for the diffusion of their principles in the minor arts of life it is generally recognized that principles should be investigated and taught by thinkers who are not concerned in applying them in the art of social life so far more difficult and important than any other the separation of theory from practice is of far greater moment the wisdom of such a course is obvious and all opposition to it will be overcome as soon as it becomes generally recognized that social phenomena are subject to invariable laws laws of so complicated a character and so dependent upon other sciences as to make it doubly necessary that minds of the highest order should be specially devoted to their interpretation but there is another aspect of the question of not less importance in sound polity separation of temporal from spiritual power is as necessary for free individual activity as for social cooperation humanity is characterized by the independence as well as the convergence of the individuals or families of which she is composed the latter condition convergence is that which secures order but the former is no less essential to progress both are alike urgent yet in ancient times they were incompatible for the reason that spiritual and temporal power were always in the same hands in the hands of the priests in some cases and at other times in those of the military chief as long as the state held together the independence of the individual was habitually sacrificed to the convergence of the body politic this explains why the conception of progress never arose even in the minds of the most visionary schemers the two conditions were irreconcilable until the middle ages when a remarkable attempt was made to separate the modifying power 
from the governing power, and so to make politics subordinate to morals. Cooperation of efforts was now placed on a different footing. It was the result of free assent rendered by the heart and understanding to a religious system which laid down general rules of conduct in which nothing was arbitrary and which were applied to governors as strictly as to their subjects the consequence was that catholicism notwithstanding its extreme defects intellectually and socially produced moral and political results of very great value chivalry arose a type of life in which the most vigorous independence was combined with the most intense devotion to a common cause every class in western society was elevated by this union of personal dignity with universal brotherhood so well is human nature adapted for this combination that it arose under the first religious system of which the principles were not incompatible with it with the necessary decay of that religion it became seriously impaired but yet was preserved instinctively especially in countries untouched by protestantism by it the medieval system prepared the way for the conception of humanity since it put an end to the fatal opposition in which the two characteristic attributes of humanity independence and cooperation had hitherto existed catholicism brought unity into theological religion and by doing so led to its decline but it paved the way long beforehand for the more complete and more real principle of unity on which human society will be finally organized but meritorious and useful as this premature attempt was it was no real solution to the problem the spirit and temper of the period were not ripe for any definite solution theological belief and military life were alike inconsistent with any permanent separation of theoretical and practical powers it was maintained only for a few centuries precariously and inadequately by a sort of natural balance or rather oscillation between imperialism and theocracy but the positive spirit and the industrial character of modern times tend naturally to this division of power and when it is consciously recognized as a principle the difficulty of reconciling cooperation with independence will exist no longer for in the first place the rules to which human conduct will be subjected will rest as in catholic times but to a still higher degree upon persuasion and conviction instead of compulsion again the fact of the new faith being always susceptible of demonstration renders the spiritual system based on it more elevating as well as more durable the rules of catholic morality were only saved from being arbitrary by the introduction of supernatural will as a substitute for mere human authority the plan had undoubtedly many advantages but liberty in the true sense was not secured by it since the rules remained as before without explanation it was only their source that was changed still less successful was the subsequent attempt of metaphysicians to prove that submission to government was the foundation of virtue it was only a return to the old system of arbitrary wills stripped of the theocratic sanction to which all its claims to respect and its freedom from caprice had been due 
the only way to reconcile independence with social union and thereby to reach true liberty lies in obedience to the objective laws of the world and of human nature clearing these as far as possible of all that is subjective and thus rendering them amenable to scientific demonstration of such immense consequence to society will it be to extend the scientific method to the complex and important phenomena of human nature man will no longer be the slave of man he yields only to external law and to this those who demonstrate it to him are as submissive as himself in such obedience there can be no degradation even where the laws are inflexible but as positivism shows us in most cases they are modifiable and in this especially in the case of our mental and moral constitution consequently our obedience is here no longer passive obedience it implies the devotion of every faculty of our nature to the improvement of a world of which we are in a true sense masters the natural laws to which we owe submission furnish the basis for our intervention they direct our efforts and give stability to our purpose the more perfectly they are known the more free will our conduct become from arbitrary command or servile obedience true our knowledge of these laws will very seldom attain such precision as to enable us to do altogether without compulsory authority when the intellect is inadequate the heart must take its place there are certain rules of life for which it is difficult to assign the exact ground and where affection must assist reason in supplying motives for obedience wholly to dispense with arbitrary authority is impossible nor will it degrade us to submit to it provided that it be always regarded as secondary to the uniform supremacy of external laws and that every step in the development of our mental or moral powers shall restrict its employment both conditions are evidently satisfied in the positive system of life the tendency of modern industry and science is to make us less dependent on individual caprice as well as more assimilable to the universal organism positivism therefore secures the liberty and dignity of man by its demonstration that social phenomena like all others are subject to natural laws which within certain limits are modifiable by wise action on the part of society totally contrary on the other hand is the spirit of metaphysical schemes of polity in which society is supposed to have no spontaneous impulses and is handed over to the will of the legislator in these degrading and oppressive schemes union is purchased as in ancient times at the cost of independence in these two ways then positive religion influences the practical life of humanity in accordance with the natural laws that regulate her existence first the sense of solidarity with the present is perfected by adding to it the sense of continuity with the past secondly the cooperation of her individual agents is rendered compatible with their independence not till this is done can politics become really subordinate to morals and the feeling of duty be substituted for that of right our active powers will be modified 
by the combined influence of feeling and reason as expressed in indisputable rules which it will be for the spiritual power to make known to us temporal government whoever its administrators may be will always be modified by morality whereas in all metaphysical systems of polity nothing is provided for but the modes of access to government and the limits of its various departments no principles are given to direct its application or to enable us to form a right judgment of it. End of section 30.